Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. And today we're taking a truly deep cut. We'll be looking at Marvel Team-Up 48 through 51. The story is written by Bill Montalow, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Mike Epatsio, the EPSO, colored by Janice Cohen, except for issue 51, which was colored by Phil Rachelson, and edited by Archie Goodwin, except for the first issue, 49, which was edited by Marv Wolfman. That was a mouthful. <laughs> All right, these, uh, these issues have not been collected digitally and are only available in trade via the Essentials Collection, which means black and white only. Uh, if you want to pick that up, these issues appear in volume two of the Essentials Collection. Uh, you have to get it secondhand. It's way out of print, but I think it was like about like $15 after shipping uh, last time I looked. The individual issues are 100% bargain bin fodder, uh, as I'm sure you've come to expect from this show. Uh, we have not done anything to break the bank so far, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. I... Uh, do you want to hmm. note here, though, if you're shopping online, don't go to my comic shop for these issues because for some reason they're disproportionately expensive on that site. Yeah, I think on eBay we were I was looking at it and they're about like uh, two or three dollars per issue. Uh, how, what were they on my comic site? They were like nine dollars an issue. In general. Why? Why? Why would you? Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, these bargain men fodder. I was able to pull physical copies from my comic shop for I think about $2 an issue. So, uh, don't 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 go spending a lot of money on this one even though it is both a centennial or a semi-centennial issue with a fi- uh, 50 and two different first appearances. Um <laughs> but we'll get into that in a second when we hit the synopsis. So this one is essentially a mystery story, which happens to introduce both Gene DeWolf as well as the Roy- the Wraith. The Wraith. <laughs> so the story begins with toy planes dropping bombs, and we have a classic superhero misunderstanding to start off the team-up between Spider-Man and Iron Man as the bombs are dropped on Stark Towers and Spider-Man happens to be swinging by as this happens and takes notice uh but uh gene dewolf comes in and quickly susses out any miscommunication we avoid the big brawl that we would normally get because of her intervention which is an interesting way to introduce a character we quickly find out that none other than the wraith has been bombing parts of new york and iron man and spider-man are able to intercept intercept at this area and then yeah (laughs) um it, it becomes soon revealed that the Wraith has connections to the DeWolf family, and eventually the identity is revealed to be both Jean's dead brother and also her father, who is someone who disapproves of her being in the police force as she is a woman. Oh dear. So yeah, so so that that's the brief synopsis. This is four issues and I mean, it's four older issues, so there's a lot that goes on. This is, uh, you know, the, I guess, compressed storytelling as opposed to decompressed. So it's a little hard to throw in a synopsis that's not going to take 10 minutes to really cover. So 
we'll 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 break it down a little bit as as we keep going as need be. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, the most no- noteworthy thing about this issue is probably its introduction of Gene DeWolf, who uh, is most famous for dying, I believe. Uh, Matt, what were your impressions of this character? I, I mean, I love Jean DeWolf, and when I started reading, because when she swings in, it's, you know, she's the police chief, she comes in, she's already got a beat on the case, she has leads, and like I said, she has us dodge the big brawl between Iron Man and Spider-Man and gets right to the business. I just thought it was kind of cool to just have this, you know, female character swing in who's powerful and controlled, you know, just doing her job uh but quickly the fact that she is a woman in the police force just doing her job becomes an interesting plot point as it sounded like at first that her father had some pull in the force and would have helped her get promoted but you quickly find out that he disapproves of her completely and doesn't want her being the police force not that he doesn't want her in the police force that he doesn't want women in the police force at all it doesn't seem to appreciate her or her dead brother or seem to be much of a father at all frankly yeah for sure uh her dad has some issues but i i just found the character really compelling um definitely like just a, a you know no nonsense kind of uh strong female character which i feel like a lot of modern writers are striving to tell or striving to write and occasionally hit um occasionally miss but i definitely think this is a a a solid model if that was the kind of character you wanted to write uh particularly a non-powered one this is a great way to introduce a non-powered character into a superhero story and have them be relevant uh there were times almost where i thought the story would have been stronger without the superheroic elements just because i i felt like gene DeWolf's character was so compelling i agree with you but it is the way she swings in initially is a little haphazard as spider-man and iron man are basically just talking out in the park near stark tower and she literally just comes in apropos of nothing <laughs> and and starts telling them what's what it, literally she starts talking off panel and spider-man swings around and says who and her first line that we get to see her with is you sound like an owl when you say that spider-man <laughs> <laughs> like there's some good corny jokes I mean, it was another time too, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. There's definitely some slang in here that's that's dated, which uh, gave me a few chuckles. Uh, but as we advance and we start moving forward with the Ray, things pick up pretty quickly, and uh, Spider-Man, Iron Man are uh, foiled pretty easily by this guy. Yeah, he he handles them. He gives them the business, the family business. Um, <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> So he, he's able to dispatch them because he's a psychic character, but he's able to make them think things are happening that aren't really happening, basically. So it's like a blend between a psychic and a Mysterio character. Well, Spider-Man even mentions that. Like, he's like, I've fought, like, Mentallo and Mysterio before. Do you really think this is new? And they kind of, like, tease a super strength that I think eventually the Wraith doesn't actually have. He just tricked spider-man into thinking he had super strength and was actually hurting him i think we're gonna get to it a little bit later but like the the powers that this guy has were really confusing for me it's a bit of a cluster 
especially when we realize his motivations and the motivations of other okay, yeah so it <laughs> it is it, it's purposely jumbled but the idea isn't so much that he has super strength but that he planted the idea to spider-man that he had super strength and that he had to fight it what i don't understand though is usually with a character like that once they realize it's just a metal block they're usually able to just get past it but here um he boards up iron man and spider-man puts them in the classic doomsday thing where they're strapped to a board and they're trying to get past it except uh it wasn't iron man was it it was no that that, that was when that's when we hit issue 50 and the cover team up was with dr strange but I, I I think I think we're get, we're jumping ahead a little bit. I, I still wanted to talk about this uh, confrontation in the cemetery is actually not not a park but a cemetery where um, Spider-Man and Iron Man were like arguing and it was just such a totally different relationship uh, that you'll see in modern day comics uh, and it's kind of like a, a I wouldn't say forgotten but a phased out aspect of Spider-Man where he's like this distrusted outsider and even in the superhero com- uh, community he's not trusted people think he's weird do you do you miss this aspect I mean like we're, we're gonna be running in a lot running into this a lot especially when we're looking into these older stories um i I mean i I feel like this was an aspect that was changed because as spider-man came more and more into prominence as far as marvel's flagship hero goes uh it made a less and less sense to have him hated by everyone else in the uh in the collective universe but uh how 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 did you feel about this 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 particular aspect of the character? Like, what what are, what are your thoughts on it? Well, so my thought is, I mean, at this point, we're basically fifty issues into Marvel Team Up. Within a few years, we're past a hundred issues of Marvel Team Up. At that point, canonically, Spider-Man has teamed up and worked with more people in the Marvel Universe than anyone else despite not having been an Avenger, despite not having been an X-Man. You know, so at this point, like. People know and have worked with him and found out that he's relatively a good guy, if a little off-putting at times, one-on-one, basically. (laughs) So the idea that he's pretty well, you know, okay with everyone at that point just made sense to me. At a certain point, they had to move on from it because it doesn't make sense for Iron Man to keep distrusting him when time after time again, uh, they worked together and gotten past that you can only have that story beat for so long and keep the character as a hero yeah no i I definitely see what you're talking about there but i've always kind of liked this aspect of the character just because i think it ties in with the origins a little bit but i can also see why it was something that had to eventually be discarded especially since spider-man is one of the first marvel heroes kind of in the heroic age i think is what they call like the post fantastic four um aspect of the the incontinuity history and yeah he's he's hung out with most of the uh marvel universe at this point so all right okay let's 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 jump back to the wraith um which okay so i think i fully understand what's going on with the wraith but but check my math here so okay so brian dewolf who's gene gene dewolf's brother died he got shot but like he didn't die completely, and then and then his father Philip DeWolf saved him and was able to revive him to like a vegetative state or or stabilize him as he was dying in like a vegetative state through through like medicine. 
then then I start to get lost because he starts doing like some sort of like hiring others to do super science on him. And then he gets like bumped into some sort of ray and gets and then the both of them get zapped. And then when when they get zapped, they 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 share minds like the I'm lost there. So it's not just a sharing. There's kind of a uh, master slave issue going here. So the father, who's psychotic by all accounts, uh, ends up in the dominant position in this relationship as we find out what the Wraith has been doing is the Wraith has the ability to assert control and plant thoughts, apparently, into others, which is what we saw at the Spider-Man Iron Man fight. But he's only doing that because his father is pushing this whole grand scheme to... What was he even trying to do? He was basically trying to be evil, is what I remember. Well, (laughs) it was... I mean, he was trying to dole out justice, but he was not concerned with collateral damage. Um, You know, the, the bombings were to get back at the people who he was borrowing money from, who were... Like, he was borrowing money to treat Brian, and then he found out these people were only lending him money because they thought it would be good to have the police chief in their pocket. And so his response, once he gets these superpowers, is to assassinate them via dropping a bomb by a remote-controlled toy plane. The the issue there, other than killing is bad, killing is wrong, um, is that... He didn't care about what what civilians got in the way. He he kind of saw them as, you know, a a price for the greater good, and that was what the issue was. But it, he was definitely he was definitely portrayed more villainous than perhaps like your Punisher, who. But Punisher might not be a great example because he's always very meticulous about not getting uh, innocent casualties because that, that's his whole shtick. So, but at the same time, he's dropping all these clues for Jean to lead him on, but he wants to prove that she was being distracted by certain things rather than figuring out them right away because she wasn't a real detective, which is, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> it doesn't like, and I, I mean, you, you could punch holes in the guy's logic, but I think that's kind of the point. The point is this guy is off his rocker and it's, he's not being guided by logic or reason. He's being guided by this obsession that his son died and his son was the one who was supposed to be a, become a cop, but his daughter did instead. And so he sees his daughter as some sort of, you know, usurper, of his what should be his son's legacy and that's what's really driving them uh you know he has these notions of justice but ultimately i think they're just self self-serving uh so that no one knows his secret about brian DeWolf. right and the the kind of the story beat that we glazed over here is obviously during the death and rebirth of the wraith uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man turn to Doctor Strange to suss out the more mystical aspect of what's going on here. And through that mystically inspired investigation is where we uncover most of these details. I like your description. I was going to call it, um, you know, Doctor Strange CSI edition, because that's, that's basically what happens. He shows up on the crime scene and does some like magic voodoo to 
replay the whole thing and i thought it, it just really reminded me of like csi where you know they go back to the scene of the crime and are like magically able to recreate everything uh to benefit the story but and and that i'm sorry and that led me to envision dr strange with like the sunglasses like csi miami style the who starts playing like good stuff good stuff I like that interpretation of Doctor Strange a lot more than the one we get in this comic, which is dry. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a very by-the-numbers, you know, Doctor Strange with his weird exclamations, like, you know, by the hoary ho- hosts of Haggath and, um, you know, the, the, the very cheesy elements of the character without the cool psychedelia to really, like, excuse it. Well, and what's funny too is this i mean if you wanted to do a uh throwing doctor strange into your comic checklist this one had all of it some contrived need to throw him on for a mystical reason he's brought along he has his catchphrases he throws up his hands you know he just hits all the check marks of doctor strange and doesn't seem to add a lot more into the story right like i mean as as i kind of touched on when we're doing the synopsis the story is approaching overstuffed um you know the the last the last issue in this arc is this big courtroom scene where they're trying philip de wolf and i honestly believe you can just completely drop that uh you know that's that issue it, it doesn't really add much to the story like it adds a conclusion to to the whole like arc that brian has but as far as the mystery the mystery is already solved uh you know the the wraith and philip de wolf have been detained and yet we have this coda that just hangs on there for an entire issue of this this trial which tries to i I guess what they're trying to do is show how an aspect of criminal court has been changed by the idea of superheroics because the sh- the shtick is they they don't have to necessarily prove that Philip DeWolf has psychic powers. They have to prove that like psychic powers are a thing, or or maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember. It got convoluted at this point, and I I uh, you know I'm going to be honest. I checked out a little bit. Uh, could could you help me fill in the blanks here? It, it is muddled. So first, I want to point out this thing is the the trial of the century. Uh, Nick Fury is tuning in via broadcast to watch and you get to see his face on a screen which seems very uh, like a poor way to run a clandestine operation is to (laughs) throw your face up on public events Uh, and also they make a whole point about Matt Murdock watching this trial as well but they ask him if things are coming in clear and he says well, auditorily only. And I'm thinking, like, why wouldn't they just have, like, an audio feed instead of a video feed to this thing <laughs> to begin with? And the person gets all flustered, like, oh, I forgot you were... Bl-. I'm like, been like, yeah, can you hear it fine, dick? You don't have to wait in my face. It's a bit much. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
this trial's supposed to be going on, and while they're reaching part of the question, because the question is less about the psychic ability and whatnot, it's about the psychic rapport about whether or not... Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to be mixing up the names here. Brian is the brother, right? Yes, Brian is the brother. And then... What's Philip. Philip is the dad. So mm -hmm. the, the thing was is that a lot of this was resting on Brian doing the crimes because he is the body which perpetrated the crimes. The trial was basically around how do they deal with the fact that Philip was essentially controlling him. And so what it ends up being is since they found a way to free the wraith of the father they're able to convict the father of the crimes and let Brian go free because he was innocent. But they were trying to come to a legal understanding around that with superpowers. Also, um, it should be noted that this issue ends with uh, all the judges, which that's not how that works, um, <laughs> sitting in a boardroom where there's this floating, like, I, I don't I, I don't know what they're drinking, but whatever they're drinking is being passed around telekinetically, it seems. So I'm guessing they have some sort of superpowers. This is some sort of cabal. I'm not sure if this is ever brought up again or what the point of that was, but it seemed like there's a larger story being hinted at here. Right. Yeah, that ending definitely threw me for a loop. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. And and like when you describe this this courtroom story it sounds interesting like it sounds like something that would be cool to kind of explore like the the nitty-gritty legal aspects of trying to like untangle something like this especially when you throw in superpowers it's just not a spider-man story you know that it's that's not what that like that that's daredevil that's like maybe she-hulk if you want to have like a more light light-hearted take on it um so this whole time, like even Spider-Man, even himself doesn't really show up in this. He like oh. Peter Parker's there. Oh, hmm? uh, did you want to jump in? I, I do because Peter Parker being there is a whole thing because not only is Peter Parker there, but our favorite publisher is there as well. A one J Jonah Jameson, who is pushing for all these gaudy shots of this family in tears and peter refuses to do it and shoves the camera into jonah's arms and a gag running throughout this comic is that jonah can't figure out how to operate a camera i mean they're very complicated sometimes you have to point sometimes you have to shoot uh there there's like a manual adjust um you know, a viewfinder. There, there are moving parts, and <laughs> he goes to take a shot, and he pops out the roll. For for the, those younger <laughs> in the audience, cameras used to work by having actual film, where the photo negatives would actually be printed on a film strip, and then that would be uh, printed out in, in a black room, and, and not just you know have a lovely digital image that comes through. And so there'd be a roll of film, and so if you'd hit something, it could come out though i don't know if it was spring-loaded like it was in this comic <laughs> all right grandpa anyway <laughs> oh oh he's coming for me <laughs> i read about um, it in history class <laughs> anyway back back to my point um you know peter only like or i'm sorry spider-man only really appears because it's required in the story um you know, touching back to what I said toward the beginning of this, 
it seems like if you remove the superheroic elements of the story, it would be stronger. Um, you know, you, you might still want to throw in some like supernatural angle to get that whole Wraith thing in there. But I, I felt like, you know, Jean DeWolf was a strong enough character to carry this on her own. And that's evident by the fact that really her story is what carries this last issue. Uh, even if it's a little not really relevant. Well, I, I guess relevant's not the right word, but... Well, so I do like the fact that you do have this whole cop family drama going on, and it does end in a courtroom. I feel that's fitting, and I do feel not enough superhero stories with, you know, crime and whatnot happening address the courtroom enough, I feel like. I feel like that's a missing element. I like the fact that we had it here. But it was so haphazardly done. They they pay some lip service to this disagreement that we talked about before. But in the end, they're just like, oh, well, clearly the only right thing to do would be to sentence this way. So there's not, there's no conflict around that. The conflict is uh, the father's machine that's keeping him comatose so he doesn't exert powers uh gets unplugged and so they have to fight him and the wraith again real quick and restore order right which again going back to your points when we were talking about the the iron man spider-man wraith fight at this point he straight up has like villain monologued at spider-man iron man and dr strange telling him i don't actually have powers all I do is make you believe these things, and yet they still like fight. Like even though they they know that well, this is this is it, and like even Nick Fury is like, uh, uh, comments like, "What are they doing? They're just fighting the air," um, and and so it just it makes it like at no at no point are they ever like, "Well, we know it's not here, but it still feels like it's here when it hits us." So I guess we have to fight it, but like they don't say that. It's just, it's it's a little frustrating because, again, like, it takes away from this courtroom drama, which I, I feel like I'm not supposed to care about anyway because the story's already over, but then it gets interrupted by superheroics. And so it, it's a weird disconnect because I'm not quite sure which part I'm supposed to care about. Am I supposed to care about the su- superheroics because it's a superhero story? Or am I supposed to care about this court drama because it's the the coda to this uh, you know police drama well you see the problem is that villain monologues issued while not on the bench in court are just unadmissible (laughs) there you go that's the issue okay well uh i think that's it for this one did you have any closing remarks or anything any other points that we glossed over that you want to touch on we finally did some marvel team up hooray (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel team up was one of the ones we wanted to talk about for a while because there I mean there's there's what like 150 or so of them and I mean it's just it's forgotten. Um I mean a lot of the times because eh, but there there's some fun stories and I I will say this was a fun story. This was definitely like enjoyable, an enjoyable read, if not uh, a little, like I said, overstuffed. Um, we'll get to well, we can we can no, we'll we'll get to that in a second though, whether whether or not it's going to be reissued or untold. But before that, how do how do you feel about this as a Spider-Man story? Like how do you like? W- 
Yeah, how do you feel about this as a Spider-Man story? Um, it different. As you pointed out, Spider-Man almost doesn't need to be here. And even more so than the super heroic thing that you were saying, like, if we took out Spider-Man and left in Iron Man and Doctor Strange, and just left Peter Parker to that one bit uh, preceding the courtroom, I, I feel like this could have happened just as well, basically. It might have even been a little smoother, because then you would have Gene DeWolf looking for Tony stark's bodyguard to try to follow up a lead on the case as he would probably be present or dealing with you know stark's property mm-hmm. being bombed so right. yeah i i don't think much of it being a spider-man <laughs> story at all <laughs> how about you oh well i'm with you there um i mean this this the the spider-man team up is definitely an important aspect of the character's history but you know as far as to like the the greater mythos of the character this one in particular i feel doesn't really add anything other than introducing gene DeWolf. um and and what is like a fairly strong story for her like i said like she was a very compelling character in this um I just don't know how I feel about it as a Spider-Man story. Um, you, you know, you do have those elements of mystery villains in Spider-Man, but this one's not really a great example of that. There, there are definitely much better done mystery villains. I felt like it was very clear uh, once they introduced Philip DeWolf, they're like, oh, well, clearly it's this guy who's saying it's the dead person who clearly is an asshole. Um, But, I mean, I wasn't expecting it also to be the dead brother. But at the end of the day, like, a mystery villain does not make a Spider-Man story. It's an element of it. But you have to have more than that. And we didn't really see the 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 spider-man aspect of the story really come through so uh on that note i would say this one should remain untold yeah i, I would agree with you there this should remain untold <laughs> right um you know first first appearance of gene DeWolf, that's cool but as far as the story goes it, you know it's it's not worth it's not worth going and picking up unless you just super, super want to. Uh, well, I guess that's that, that might be a little unfair to say. Um, it's It wouldn't be one that I would put at the top of the hunt. If I, if I was passing through and saw, saw it, I'd pick it up. But it wouldn't be one that I went out of my way to hunt for. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, on that note, where would you rank it? Given our list and where we're at, um, the tippy top being the child within and the very bottom as it forever shall be will be trouble. I definitely feel this remains in between as it would have to be. And I I would put this somewhere in or around uh, Soul of the Hunter. Okay. One, <laughs> first of all, that sounds like a challenge as far as trouble always remaining on the bottom. I mean, I've got a lot of free time and I can read a lot of really bad comics and just blindside you with one. Um, so just keep that in mind. Two, that sounds about right uh, as far as where, where to place it. Um, uh, you know, I would put it 
above Soul of the Hunter, but below Family Business is where I would put it. Um, you know, the art in Family Business kind of, you know, ekes it above Team Up. They're both weird for, like Spider-Man stories where Spider-Man is really not the focus. Um, but I would say the family business succeeds a little bit better than, than uh, this, this team up 48 through 51 does. I, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And unlike soul of the hunter, this is, you know, a comic book story that wasn't at the behest of parent groups. So, I mean, you don't know that. <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, not, not to say the soul of the hunter was bad because it was at the behest. It just, you know, it's my, my issue with soul of the hunter isn't its origin. It's that it, it doesn't feel fully actualized. Like it, it feels like half of a good comic and half of something that maybe Demetrius's full heart wasn't in, um, or, or just didn't have the space to really get across what he wanted to with that um it's an oddity but yeah i don't want to dwell on it too much <laughs> right well yeah yeah i mean if you guys want to hear our opinions on soul of the hunter you can always check out our first episode on soul of the hunter uh, all right well okay uh do you want to tell the readers what our news for next issue or i'm sorry next episode will be next time we are very happy to have gotten brian jacob half of the ultimate spin to come on and we're going to be discussing the web of spider-man issues eight and nine so pretty early in on that run and we're gonna find out what that's about in case you didn't hear that correctly that's eight and nine not four and five or like i read 89 <laughs> Or 89. Uh, definitely had some issues there. So I read a whole bunch of different Web of Spider-Man issues, but I did manage to read 8 and 9 before we recorded that one. So, um, well, I guess they wouldn't know that, would they? Nope. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you haven't, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show. It really helps others find us and fills us with warm, fuzzy feelings. If our show gives you warm, fuzzy feelings, please consider joining the amazing Spider Talk Patreon. $3.99 a month gets you exclusive access to the untold talks of Spider-Man B-title reviews, the amazing Spider Talks, amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as access to the members-only section of our Slack channel, the amazing Spider Slack. We should get smoking jackets for that, like nice crushed velvet smoking jackets and pass it around. Maybe that'll be like another another donation tier. Uh, speaking of donation tiers, there is a second donation tier, the Excelsior Club. A $10 a month donation nabs you commissioned artwork twice per year from Spider-Man artists you know and love, in addition to the previous tier. All right, well... Now that we've gotten that one out of the way, Matt, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, you can find me on Twitter at MagicalMatt42, or you can listen to my other beautiful comic book related podcast, Never Stay Dead, distributed wherever great podcasts are sold. Kane, where can we find you? 
Uh, I'm actually becoming Amish, so this is the last episode. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Kane Writes. Uh, you can also find the show on Twitter at Untold Talks SPMN. You can find the show on Facebook under Untold Talks of Spider Man or email the show at Untold Talks of Spider Man at gmail.com. Um, that's it. Uh, we want to extend another special thanks, as always, to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you'd like to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, please check out the show notes for links to where you can stream their music. All right. And until Matt and I record from our secret laboratory in our family tomb in an abandoned cemetery, make mine untold. That's why JJ pays me the big bucks. Say cheese!